I'm reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 10. The text is number 7. And the verse is as follows Yadi das yasi mi kaman varam swam varadarshaba kamanam radayasroham. The translation is, this is Prahlad Maharaj speaking, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Prahlad Maharaj was the son of Hiranyakashipu. And Hiranyakashipu was a very materialistic person. In fact, that's what his, his name means, gold and soft bed. He was interested in all the comforts of life, and he performed severe austerities in order to get material power. He got a benediction from Brahma. So <coughs> he, had, he had some sons. One of them was Prahlad Maharaj. But Prahlad Maharaj had, while well, he was in the womb of his mother, Kayadu, heard from Narada Muni, who was a great spiritual master, he was actually, Narada, speaking to the child within the womb. The mother heard it also, but Narada understood that there was a great devotee in the womb of Kayadu. So Prahlad, when he came out, was already Krishna conscious. So this is an important point because the transcendental sound vibration is potent. And it has an effect, even if one's not fully conscious of the effect, and isn't fully aware of it. Of course, it has more effect if you're aware, but it's called a gata sukriti. Sometimes we're hearing something transcendental and we may not fully understand what it is, but still uh, it has a transformative effect. So Prahlad, even when he was a child and he was in school, was fully Krishna conscious. And when he, he would come home from school, Sometimes his father would ask him, what's the best thing you learned? Because his father sent him to the best schools, hoping that he would become a big materialistic politician like him. And it, each time he, he asked his son, what's the best thing you learned? Prahlad would tell him something about devotional service. And that drove his father crazy. Because his father actually hated Vishnu and didn't, didn't want to have a son that was... Uh, engaged in devotional service or who valued it. So he became very abusive to his, to his son. So much so that uh, minus a lot of the details, he tried to kill his son in various ways, but because Vishnu protected him, the son wouldn't die. Prahlad was protected directly by Lord Vishnu because he was such a great devotee. And in frustration, his father, Hiranyakashipu, Prahlad's father, wanted to know where he was getting his power from because Hiranyakashipu was only acquainted with getting power in a materialistic way and using it to oppress other people. He wanted to know, where are you getting your power from, Prahlad? And he said, the same place you are, Father, from, from God. He said, where is this God? And Prahlad said, he's everywhere. Because actually, 
As is mentioned by Brahma in the Brahma Samhita, Ekopya Sora Charitum Jagaranda Kotim Yat Shakti Rasti Jagaranda Chayayaranda Andanta Rasta Paramaru Chayantarastam Govindamari Purusham Tamaham Bajami. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is manifest everywhere. There's not one place in his creation that he that he isn't personally present. And that verse I just quoted says that even within the atom, Krishna is present. <coughs> Similarly, in the Sri Shapanishad, it is said, Tadejati Tanajati Tadure Tadvantike. Thank you. These flowers are important because they soften the heart. I have a very hard heart, so they have to keep putting these on. Remedy the situation. They. Tadejati Tanajati. The Supreme Lord walks and he does not walk. He is far away, but he is very near as well. He is within everything and yet he is outside of everything. This is the mystic potency of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's manifest everywhere, but at the same time he maintains his individual existence. But uh, those who are in materialistic consciousness, they forget the presence of God. And this is the cause of fear and, and anxiety. The Srimad Bhagavatam says, Bhayam dvitiya abhini tasya. So Bhayam, everyone say Bhayam. Bhayam means fear. And Syat means that something arises. So Bhayam Syat means fear arises when? Bhayam dvitiya abhini beshita. Abhini beshita means to be absorbed in something. And dvitiya means something other than God. So dvi means two. So actually there's only one thing, God. We're all part of him. Everything's part of him. The material energy and the spiritual energy. The Vishnu Purana says, Vishnu Purana says, Eko desha stitasya agnir jochna visnaraniyata parasya baramana shaktis yateidam akilam jagat. Just as uh, the sun is uh, an unlimited source of, of energy, it's in one place, but it's manifesting its energies all over the universe. So in the same way, the Supreme Personality of God, it is one, but he has multifarious energies and he manifests them uh, all, over the world, all over the universes. So <clears throat> Hiranyakashipu was absorbed in what he thought was his own power, but actually it's coming from God, and his own possessions, but actually they belong to Krishna. And therefore... He became fearful of his son's power. His son was very simple. He was only a five-year-old child. But he had implicit faith in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And so this was uh, a great source of anxiety for his father. He couldn't control Prahlad because Prahlad was detached from the world and also being protected by Vishnu. So he threatened Prahlad. Prahlad was unafraid. And then uh, he asked Prahlad, so if, if you say God's everywhere, is he in this pillar? They were standing in Hiranyakashipu's palace, which actually had stolen from Indra. And he asked if he was in the pillar, and Prahlad said, of course. Because actually a pure devotee does see Krishna everywhere. He's aware of the fact that God's present in, in every atom and even in the pillar. And so then Hiranyakashipu attacked the pillar. He said, then I'll, I'll smash the pillar, I'll kill him. 
And that's the time in which Hiranyakashipu decided to manifest, uh, excuse me, Hiran, Lord Nishingadev manifested himself. Because he can come out at anywhere at any time. In fact, he manifests himself as he wishes. And one of the ways that he manifests himself, especially in this age of Kali Yuga, is in his holy name. This, this is the most important incarnation of Krishna in this present Kali Yuga age. Is in his uh, transcendental names, he's fully present. There's no difference between Krishna and his name. The Srimad Bhagavatam says, Apana samsritim goram yannama vibhishogranan tata sadyo vimucheta yadbhibheti swayambhayam That uh, you should understand, the Bhagavatam says, that there's no difference at all between Krishna and his name. And therefore, you can call out to Krishna at any time to take shelter of the name, even in the most fearful situations. Because... Fear personified is afraid of Krishna. So, Nishringadev burst out of the pillar. And then there was a fight between Hiranyakashipu and Nishringadev. And, of course, Nishringadev prevailed and he killed the demon, Hiranyakashipu. And afterwards, the demigods came to offer prayers to the Supreme Personality of God in the form of Nishringadev. But he was very angry. He was angry at Hiranyakashipu and his anger wasn't, anger wasn't subsiding. And so when the demigods saw that they weren't successful, they pushed Prahlad forward and they said, you try, because he manifested because of you. So Prahlad began to offer prayers to the Lord. So we just finished in the last few days <clears throat> reading all of his prayers. And now the Lord... <clears throat> Nishingadev is offering him a benediction. He said, you, you take something, take, take some benediction. And Prahlad said, I don't want a benediction. I didn't, I'm not worshipping you because I want something <coughs> in return. I'm not a vanik. A vanik means a merchant. And it comes like, I'm putting a rupee here, or a dollar, in the donation box for you, my lord, because I want 10,000 back. Or asking that I'm worshipping you because I need something, I want something. So this is the standard of pure devotion. It means that the devotee realizes my eternal situation is I'm a servant of, of Krishna and he's not expecting anything in return. He's only serving for service. So this was the mood of Prahlad Maharaj, therefore he's glorified everywhere as the standard of pure devotion. So now the Sringadev said, no, wait a minute, I'm Bhagavan, I give benedictions. You're my servant. You take something. So then he asked that, please uh, liberate my father. Even though his father was abusive and he was a big demon, Prahlad uh, had compassion for him. So he said, you, you please uh, save him. And Nishingadev said, I already did. Not only that, I saved generations of his family uh, forward and backward. So he said, ask for something else. So now, today's verse, this is what Prahlad asked for. This is his, when, when finally coming down to what he, he really wants to ask from the Lord, here's what he asks. So he says, O my Lord, best of the, of the givers of benediction, if you at all want to bestow a desirable benediction upon me, then I pray from your Lordship that within the core of my heart there be no material desires.
purport. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught us how to pray for benedictions from the Lord. He said, Nadhanam, Nadjanam, Nasundarim, Kavitam, Va, Jagadish, Kamaye, Mama Janmani, Janmanishwade, Bhavatad, Bhaktira, Haitu, Kitwai. Oh, my Lord, I do not want from you any amount of wealth, nor many followers, nor a beautiful wife, for these are all materialistic desires. But if I have to ask you for a benediction, I pray that in whatever forms of life I may take my birth under any circumstances, I will not be bereft of your transcendental devotional service. Devotees are always on the positive platform, in contrast to the Mayavadis, who want to make everything impersonal or void. One cannot remain void, shunyavadi. Rather, one must possess something. Therefore, the devotee on the positive side wants to possess something and if this possession is very nicely des- and this possession is very nicely described by Prahlad Maharaj, who says, "If I must take some benediction from you, I pray that within the core of my heart, there may be no material desires. The desire to serve the supreme personality of Godhead is not at all material." So, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that the the devotee is peaceful because the devotee doesn't want anything. Whereas Bhukti Mukti Siddhikami Sakali Ashanta, Krishna Bhakta Ataiva Shanta. The, the devotee um, <clears throat> doesn't have any material desire, therefore is always peaceful. But Bhukti Mukti Siddhikami, this means, Bhukti means somebody who's after material enjoyment. They're, they're working in this world so they can make a arrangement so they can enjoy uh, this world. It's called a bukti. And a mukti means somebody who's tired of trying to enjoy the material world and wants to give it up completely and attain liberation. Siddhi means somebody who wants to attain mystic perfections. So these are all called kamis. They want something. Bukti, mukti, siddhi, kami. Sakali means all of them. Ashanta, they're all not peaceful because they still want something. But uh, the devotee, because doesn't want anything except for service, <coughs> selfless service, that person is completely satisfied. So this is uh, uh, a base point for devotional service, is understanding that my real interest in life is to f- find in my heart sincerity for serving Krishna without any motive, without any material desire. Of course, in the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam, both places, Krishna describes those who approach him with the material desire, they're all pious anyway. For instance, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the seventh chapter, it says, Chaturavida bhajante imam jana sukritino arjuna arto jignasa artarti jnanicha paratarshaba. Four kinds of what he calls sukritis, or pious people. They approach me for various reasons. Some of them, they have some um, material desire to fulfill. Other people, they're in need of money. Other people, they're just uh, curious. And other people are already in knowledge of the Absolute. So he said these different kinds of pious people who approach me when they're in need, they're also okay, because at least they're approaching me and not somebody else. That's a very elevated position. But the best, he says, are those who are approaching me for 
for service for service, not for some material gain. And in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Shukadeva Goswami says, Akama Sarva Kamuva, Moksha Kama Udaradi, Vivrena Pakti Yogena Yajeta Purusham Param. And that is, if somebody is Akama, which means they don't have any desire, or Sarva Kama, which means they have all material desires, Akama Sarva Kamuva, Moksha Kama, or they want Moksha, which means liberation. Tivrena Bhakti Yogena, they should still approach Krishna. Because after all, he's the one who fulfills all desires. But if you approach Krishna with a material desire, then he has a tendency to uh, remove that material desire and replace it with a desire for devotional service. This is mentioned in the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam where it says, Satyam dishiti artito nrinam artito yata svayam vitate bhajatam anichatam ichapitaram nijapadapalavam which means uh, Krishna speaking, and he said, sometimes people approach me again and again for material benedictions. And then he says, I give those material benedictions, but I do it in such a way that they won't ask for them anymore, mm-hmm. that they won't want it. And uh, Giriraj Maharaj gave an example of this when uh, he was in Mumbai at the Juhu Project. He was there as the temple president, and Prabhupada was staying there, it was his office, he said, and he was translating uh, his books, and he had help from people from, from various regions of India translate his books into various dialects. So there was a young man there who was expert at Marathi, and he used to come to consult Prabhupada about the translation, and his father would come with him, and his father had a bad habit of smoking, and so he was a little bit embarrassed, and he admitted to Prabhupada he had a, this habit of smoking. So when Prabhupada saw him the next time, the man had promised to give it up, and Prabhupada asked him if, if he had been successful, and he said, um, no, actually, I, I need your special mercy to give it up. So Prabhupada said, yes, you can get special mercy, but special mercy means that Krishna will make you so miserable that will be forced to give it up. Would you like that? And he said, no, 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 I'll do it voluntarily. <laughs> so an intelligent person figures out that actually if I voluntarily surrender to Krishna, then I'll be happy. And any tiny little material desire that I, I keep in my heart is actually to, to my own detriment. It causes anxiety. Even the demigods, <clears throat> they're said to be Sakama devotees. They're devotees of Krishna but they may have some attachment to their power in the material world and so forth. So even as Lord Nishingadev was killing Hiranyakashipu, they were watching. And at one point in the, during the fight, Hiranyakashipu escaped the grasp of Lord Nishingadev. And the demigods were thinking, oh no, this is terrible because now he saw us rooting for Nishingadev. Now he's really going to be oppressive. And even, he'll punish us even more. Because they had something, they had a vested interest. As long as I have a vested interest in, in something in the material world, then there's fear. So it doesn't mean that we give up everything, but it means that we engage everything in Krishna's service and see that everything that I have is meant for hit, to be engaged. And it's not mine, 
but this is a kind of way to work in the world and to engage with all kinds of things, but not be connected to them in the same way that a materialistic person is. And Krishna gives the the analogy in the Bhagavad Gita. Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam tyakva karotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. He said, just like a lotus flower, which is called padmaja, ja means to be born, and padma means mud. So a lotus flower is padmaja, it grows out of the mud at the bottom of the pond. And then it comes up to the top of the pond and it rests there. But if you watch a lotus flower, it has a big green uh, leaf and the beautiful lotus juts out from there. And even if the water's splashing on it, it has a way that it, it, it's impervious to the water. The water just runs right off. It beads up. You can see there's no absorption whatsoever <coughs> on the flower or on the leaf. Even though it lives in the water, it's not touched by the water. So Krishna says that a person who's like the lotus, in what sense? He says, Brahmanyadaya karmani sangam tyakva karotiya. He, he gives up the results of his activity. In other words, he's not thinking, this is for me. He's thinking, I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for Krishna, not for myself. And therefore, he's not attached to, to the result. Uh, and he doesn't have a vested interest in the world. Therefore, he says, that person doesn't become entangled in the world the way ordinary people do. Although it looks like the person's working the same as everyone else, may even have possessions, will have possessions, may have relationships, everything, but because within the heart of that person uh, there's no attachment because it's being used in service, then he's not entangled, she's not entangled. Lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. So he said you should live like that and not, not become entangled in the world. So we can take the example of Prahlad Maharaj to see the standard of pure devotional service that actually brings real happiness within the heart. And that's the standard that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught and that Srila Prabhupada brought and that the Srimad Bhagavatam advocates. It begins, Dharma Projita Kaitavotra Paramo Nirmatsaranam Satam, which means the Srimad Bhagavatam is presenting a standard of devotion where there's no cheating. And the cheating means that I'm doing service, but I want something from God. I'm doing it because I want something back. It's not uh, a pure motive. That's, the, that's where the Bhagavatam begins. So that's what uh, the Krishna Consciousness Movement is really teaching, is that you can be happy by living a, a life of dedication. There's three paths. One of the path of living for material enjoyment. The other path is giving up all material enjoyment and trying to become liberated and not touch matter at all. And the third is the path of dedication, which means using everything for a higher, higher purpose in service to the Supreme. And that is uh, the, the life of Krishna consciousness, which is recommended in all the Shastras. Now let's see if you have any reflections. It means anything you heard you can reflect back or any questions. I like your sound studio. <laughs>
It's really good. Do this the easy way or the hard way? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering. My question is how to reconcile. Um, it's my understanding by Gita, Krishna recommends recommends slow, steady growth. So how to reconcile slow, steady growth with this idea of uh, surrender? Well, Krishna mentions this in the Bhagavatam when he says that. Uh, he recognizes the fact that there's an interim period. It may not be possible to muster that kind of sense that, okay, Krishna, you do whatever you want with me and uh, I'm offering service for service. There may still be some material motivation. And so, in a verse in the fifth canto, he says, jata-shrada-makatasu nirvina-sarva-karmasu Veda dukat makankamams pratyagi pyanishvara tatobajetamam prita shradar lurjadanishchaya jushamanams tatankamams dukodarkams jagaryan. And this means that um, the person jata shradu, again that word ja, which means to be born, shradha means one's faith, mat katasu, mat means me, and kata means uh, topics. So the process of Krishna consciousness is to uh, give oneself to hearing about Krishna. So he said that the person's faith has been awakened. It's born. It's already there in hearing about Krishna and the process of bhakti is what the person's after. Nirvina sarva karmasu. The person uh, is really disgusted with the material world and his or her involvement in it. Veda dukat makam kamams means the person knows that material engagement leads to misery. But then, pratyagi pyanishvara. Ishvara, we hear like Ishvara Paramakrishna. Ishvara means, the, in that sense, the supreme controller, but Ishvara also means the power to do something. So, pratyagi means uh, to give something up. So, pratyagi pyanishvara even though the person knows all these things and has faith, still he's not able to give it up. The power isn't there yet. So Krishna's recognizing that position. Then he says, Tato Prita, you should know that because you're engaged in the process, you're very dear to me. And you should continue. Shraddha Lord Jodhanishchaya, uh, continue with your faith in the process. Jushamanam Shatankamams. Uh, go on executing devotional service, even though you may have some material desire, or you can't, um, you know, immediately give it up. And Dukho Dar comes to Gauranam. He says that you may have a little regret. Regret is very powerful. But he said you shouldn't become morose. So that, uh, because that's one of the tricks Maya is like, I'm, I'm so, 
like I'm so fallen, I can never actually advance. And therefore you kind of like give up because you claim I'm permanently unqualified. So he said, don't do that. But he said, you can regret a little bit that I'm not there yet because that can be an impetus to move forward. So obviously they're interim periods. And uh, one of the ways that devotees are uh, hopeful is they know that Krishna is very expert. He knows how to um, give us a customized suffering so that we'll want to give things up. This is brought up in the in the verse Tate Anukampam Susumikshamano Bunjana Evatma Kritambipakam Ridvagvabur Vira Viradam Namaste Jiveta Yomukti Padesadaya Bhak, the famous verse from tenth canto, fourteenth chapter, eighth verse, where Brahma says that a devotee who understands that whatever miseries are coming to me are actually caused by myself because of my past activities in the material world. And therefore he or she um, considers that Krishna's mercy as a kind of a purification. And if a person adopts that kind of mentality, then Rama says that person's fit to inherit the kingdom of God. And in other words, don't become a victim and say, uh, you know, why me? And uh, I didn't deserve this. God must be cruel. Um, understand that we have our own volition and we've created our own situation. Every self-respecting help, self-help guru will tell you the same thing. <laughs> that if you, if, you, uh, if you take responsibility for where you are now, then you can reclaim your power. And in the purport, uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that Krishna's expert at customizing miseries specifically to encourage the devotee to give up the last vestiges of material desire. So, I was saying the devotee is hopeful. So, one of the ways the devotee is hopeful is that Krishna is expert at these things. And once there were two policemen walking in Delhi, and they were looking for thieves. And one of them, one of the policemen said to the other, but it's ironic because actually our God, Krishna, is known as Hari. He's, he's known as a great thief. Even in his childhood, he's known as Makanchor. He steals butter. As a, as a way to please his devotees, he goes around as a kind of a rascally child and <coughs> steals things, steals butter and things. So he said, so we see that people in this neighborhood, they put up high walls and they have strong locks. And he said, but these thieves, they're so expert. Somehow or other, they get past the locks and they go over the walls and they still are able to steal. So he said, in the same way, Krishna is such an expert thief that even though I put a high wall around my heart and try to chain it up, said, no, I want to keep all my imperfections. That's who I am. That Krishna is so expert that if we stay close to him, he'll, he'll arrange a way to get over the wall and take it out anyway. But one thing that one can do is at least like even if you're afraid to get rid of your own material desires, if just like kind of accidentally on purpose leave the, leave the lock off the door, you know, don't, cha don't chain it up tight. 
and just like you can sit and chant and say, Krishna, I, I'm too, I'm too weak to actually give up my material desires, but I know that you're an expert thief. So I'm going to chant. I'm going to leave the door open. So if you if you would just come in and forcibly take it away or steal it, you know, I really appreciate it. So the, the devotee always has uh, hope because Krishna helps the devotee. He's known as Vidunoti. That's one of Krishna's names, Vidunoti. It, it appears in many verses like Shrinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravana Kirtana Hridyam Taksto Hibadrani Vidunoti Suhritsatam. If you apply yourself to the process of hearing about Krishna from the Srimad Bhagavatam, then Krishna acts within your heart as a vidunoti. So what is a vidunoti? In the places where they produce cotton, the cotton fields, they take the cotton off the vine and then it has to be purified because it has seeds and stems and everything in it. So they have this special contraption where there's these cords that are pulled taut and then they put the cotton on top and they vibrate the cords at a high rate and that vibration then causes the seeds and the impurities, other impurities within the cotton to fall through the cracks. And after a while, then you just have soft, fluffy cotton on top. And the impurities are gone. So that's how Krishna acts in our life as the vidunoti. We may take the, the particular things that are happening to us as, oh, this is terrible. But Krishna is vibrating us to make those impurities fall through. But the highest vibration is the transcendental sound vibration of the Bhagavatam and the Holy Name. And if we take it upon ourselves to keep that vibration going, then Krishna helps us more and more to the degree that we apply ourselves to that hearing process. He transforms us. Are there other questions? Yes, Prabhu. Thank you so much. How much does a person's past conditioning affect or impact their current spiritual life? Well, from the previous life, from you know, before I started uh, in my spiritual life, or even in this life. Well, it can impact a lot. I mean, let's say somebody takes birth as a dog, from because of past activities, uh, which is possible. But you know, man, as Prabhupada once said, he said, "Go to sleep as a man, wake up as a dog." You know, there's that, uh, what was it, Franz Kafka, who wrote uh, Metamorphosis about this guy waking up as a, as a cockroach. And, you know, it's just a creative writing piece describing, it's like, hey, what are all these legs? And, you know, I'm on my back, what can I do? I can't remember the details, I just remember reading it a long time ago. So our past, you know, the momentum from our past life can put us in a disadvantageous situation for taking the spiritual life. Sometimes people are harassed by their samskars. You know, they're, they're trying, but they have a lot of um, uh, interruption because they have uh, a predisposition to certain habits <coughs> that are a little difficult to overcome. Therefore, in the Gita, Krishna says, seventh chapter, yesham tuntakatam papam jananam bunyakarmanam that when a person becomes uh, it's in a more sattvic condition 
they're not uh, predisposed to all kinds of sinful activities, then such a person, it's much easier for them to, to perform devotional service with determination, dhridavata. They don't keep getting knocked around. Nonetheless, the, the Srimad Bhagavatam points out the devotional service is so powerful that it doesn't matter where one's starting from. One can still be victorious. For instance, in the Bhagavatam, Shukadeva Goswami says, Kirata hunandra pulinda pukasha abhirashumba yavana kasadaya yene chapapa yarapashaya shaya shudyamti tasmai pravavishnavena maha. He names all kinds of people who are known to be way far out of the Varnashram. They have no background in uh, culture, spiritual culture. But he says, still, all these people, he's just giving samples, all these people, doesn't matter what situation they're in, they can become purified by the power of Vishnu that comes through the devotees. And Krishna similarly says, Mamhi parta vipashrita yepi su papa yonaya striyo vaishastatashudras tepiyanti paramgatim Krishna is saying that there's all kinds of people like, um, you know, in categories that aren't considered to be qualified for Vedic culture, but he said it doesn't matter because devotional service is so powerful that if you surrender, if you take to it, then you'll become purified, you'll come to the perfect stage. But it's easier if you start from a situation where you don't have a lot of interference from your previous uh, lives easier for people sometimes they take a birth and you know there's no static at all and that's what Krishna talks about in the sixth chapter of the Gita that if somebody has practiced yoga in their last life for a short amount of time and then they fall down from the path they become yoga brashta and then he said they they go to the heavenly planets and then they take birth in a wealthy family somewhere where they have uh, leisure time to take the spiritual life they've practiced yoga for a long time in their last life then they take, go to the heavenly planets, then they take birth in a family of transcendentalists. Where, you know, they, they're born and then all of a sudden they're just in a family where they're already practicing devotional service. That means that a person is, is already continuing from the momentum of, of last life. It's a sure thing. But by the power of a pure devotee, anybody can be re- reclaimed even if they come from the worst of families and situations. Indra Maharaj was telling us about how he had one disciple that come from a line of cannibals, you know, in some Amazon place. You know, it's like, yeah, my grandfather used to eat people. But now, you know, woman is two generations removed, but she's uh, chanting Hare Krishna, very steady in the practice. <laughs> Does that help? Okay. What other questions? I have actually one more. Yes. Uh, not related to the talk. Okay. A little bit different. Use the mic. Um, so you're describing the pastimes of Narsing Dev and Hiranakashipu. Do these pastimes repeat? Uh, what I'm asking is, you know, we're in Kadyuk. You come to an end after, after a while, then Satyuk starts again. So is the same the chain of events that happened in the past yoga, they are repeated again in the next yoga? Yes, the Lord's, uh, it's a repertory theater. The Lord repeats his pastimes in various ways, but sometimes they're variations. But the thing is that these pastimes are, 
are eternal and the devotees are absorbed in them and they see him as ever fresh. So it's not that, you know, it's like, oh, we saw that one before. It, it's always chamatkar. There's always this uh, amazement, you know, as they're unfolding and there's, the devotees are seeing them again and again. That's wow. And the Lord's enjoying them again and again also. But in different kalpas, there are different variations. Sometimes it's slightly different. Therefore, you'll find variations and descriptions some of these pastimes, and the acharyas describe how this is because of, oh, this one happened in a different kalpa. Like, there are different um, manifestations of varaha. And, you know, he, his, his appearance is slightly different in one kalpa than it is in another. Does that help? Yeah. I think I have one more. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, on the same lines, for the, uh, you know, the spiritual world consists of if Krishna's population, three-fourths of the population resides in the spiritual world, one-fourth in the material universe. Will there be a time that, you know, this material universe will be empty? Because as, as you know, devotees are going back to the spiritual world, <coughs> none of them, I assume, are coming down. Will there be a time that everything will be empty and everybody will be in the spiritual universe with Krishna? No. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was asked that question directly. And he said that because the living entities are asankhya, they're uncountable. Although these, these kind of measurements are given, three-fourths, one-fourths, these are, these are um, of course, the maya means illusion. It also means to try to measure. So the measurements are given because our minds are in time and space. So the Shastra sometimes gives us these measurements like Kesha Grashatabhagashadrishatmakaha, Jiva Sukshma Sharupo Yang Sankyatito Hi Chitkana. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said the 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 size of the of the soul, he says one ten thousand size the tip of a hair. So like whose hair? Elephant hair, your hair, my hair, some people's hair. But you know, it's just to give an idea. And so similarly, one-fourth, three-fourths is just to give an idea. It's not an exact count. It's like, oops, yeah, we just got the balance over here. We got it on the spreadsheet. But Mahaprabhu said, in the, in the context of Vasudev Datta, he was, he was uh, lamenting for the suffering of all the living entities. And he said, my Lord, <clears throat> you take everybody back to Godhead, every soul in all the universes, and let me stay here and suffer for all of them. I'll suffer all the sins. Because the devotee is paradukaduki, he suffers on the account of the suffering of others. And Mahaprabhu said, even if I took every, he said, by your desire they'll all be liberated. But even as I take all living entities out of one universe, it'll simply fill back up again. Because the, the living entities are asankhya, and some of them are inclined towards the, the material energy. So the example Prabhupada gave in a practical sense was that uh, when the when they build it, when you build a new city somewhere, you know you you also have to include in the scheme a police department and a jail, because there's going to be a part of the population that always ends up in jail, <laughs> and there are, there aren't any cities that don't have jails and a police force. It's just the nature. Gave that example. Hi, Krishna. How are you? Are you in school? Today. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you go to school? Southern Delaware School of the Arts. It's an arts the school. arts, good. We need more artists in the world.
Her sister and brother are at school, but this was more important for her. Really? So you're, you're chanting Hare Krishna? Practicing devotional service? That's good. What kind of art do you do? Um, I do theater and art. Theater and art. There's a big place for that in devotional service. Prabhupada really liked um, the artists a lot. And he, he really empowered them. There, there was, uh, when I lived in uh, the temple in New York City, we had a big building there <clears throat> when Prabhupada was here on three, 340 West 55th. It was in Manhattan. And on one of the floors we had a theater. And the theater was, um, co- was uh, conducted by a group of devotees who had been professional actors. And then they became devotees and then they got together and they formed a, a troupe called the Vaikuntha Players. And they used to do plays there and probably would come and watch them. There's pictures of him watching the, the uh, theater performances. He liked it very much. And... Um, Sometimes when Prabhupada would watch it, sometimes even, you know, you'd see a tear come because he was so absorbed in the, in the drama they were doing. And these players also, in New York City, of course, it's a wild place. Have you ever been there? We used to go every month. Oh, you used to go every month? First Friday. I everything see. Everything was free. <laughs> everything was free. <laughs> Take her up to the Met and the MoMA. And oh, nice. Well, they used to do street performances. So they'd go out on the street and... They, they would start the play just on, a, on any crowded corner. And, you know, like, for instance, the, the opening scene of the, of the skit would be, you know, two people arguing. And, you know, everyone loves an argument out in public. So they would, like, start screaming at each other, and everyone would start gathering around. And then they'd enact the play right there, on the, and there would just be this huge crowd, and then devotees would go around and give everyone a Back to God Ed magazine and nice. invite them to come to the temple. So that was, they did that. And uh, the other artists, Prabhupada brought some of the artists to, um, to India to learn how to make dioramas, because his spiritual master was very much into making these um, clay and straw figures, you know, that were finished and painted. We're on the Facebook site where they show how to do that. There's, yeah. there's a Facebook where it's Krishna art and... Sorry. There's a Facebook site where it's Krishna art and yeah. it shows them actually making the straw figures and then painting them and turning them into the different deities and different, um, and like Prabhupada and things like that. I was just showing that to nice. her on Facebook so she could see how they were all made. Excellent. Do you know Bhakti Mark Swami? No. We've, so we've only been practicing. We found out about the Bhakti house in March. I see. We should introduce you to Bhakti Marg Swami. Bhakti Marg Swami is a, is a really uh, wonderful devotee. He's from Canada, but he, has, he, he um, puts on dramas. He's a, a director, and he does dramas all over the world. In fact, what his expertise is, is he'll pull into town, he'll gather together some of the young people who are interested, young and old, whoever's interested, um, and within a few days, he'll organize a, a play, and then he'll present it. And he writes plays all the time, Christian conscious plays. But he, he'd love to meet you, yeah. for sure, because uh, he's always looking for new talent. Yeah, she would absolutely love that. That's her thing. I'll tell him about you. We're going up to Toronto soon, and we'll see him, and I'll tell him you're here. He may come looking for you. <laughs> 
And do you you live nearby? Um, about twenty minutes from here. Yeah. Yeah. Are you an, also an artist? Yes, and I have two younger kids too. I have a ten-year-old and nine-year-old. So I'll be here tonight. Are they artists also? Yeah, they're both in the same art school. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm both into drama. When did you get into art? Are you into drama or? I used to own an art gallery in Rehoboth. Oh, really? Yeah, my mom was a world-renowned watercolorist. Oh. So it's just been in the family forever. I see. So. Fantastic. We're blessed. Yeah, when you read in the, uh, like for instance, there are descriptions in the Brahma Sanghita uh, about the, the various um, arts in the spiritual world or the activities there, and most of them are, are artistic. They're aesthetics that, um, as Prabhupada points out, that uh, there's no business trips in, uh, going on in Vaikuntha, and especially in Goloka Vrindavan, it's really about music and art, the aesthetic, that complements the rasa or the relationships between Krishna and his devotees. Music is the other thing we're all into. I play the violin. I'll probably be playing this evening while everyone's playing. Oh, fantastic. That's the other thing everybody's been trying to get them more into music again. My one daughter plays flute, so we're trying. Good. Trying to push them in the music and art direction. <laughs> yes. Any other things? I like the point that you made about um, how intelligence means to voluntarily surrender. Yes. Because it's like the, we have the two options. One is to use our intelligence and understand that, yeah, the harder we try to fight against this material energy to try to get comfortable and enjoy and get everything how we want it, the harder it's going to fight back. Or we can just try our best and, and keep getting thrashed in the waves of the material world and eventually just get forced to, to surrender. It's yeah, well, to the important, the, the intelligent part is if you're preemptive. Because, for instance, we talk a lot about preemptive giving. For whatever assets I have, they're going to be taken away one way or another, right? Correct? Yes. Yes. So the, the Bhagavatam points out that because things are going to be taken away anyway, if they're taken away by force, by the course of time and material nature, you don't get any credit for them being taken. However, if you voluntarily give them before they're taken, so I'll, give, I'll tell you a joke. That I heard that. (laughs) So listen. So there's two people walking down the street, friends, and then there's a um, a a robber jumps out, and he holds a gun and he says, "So give me all your money." So the one friend, so one of them says to the gunman, "Okay, no problem. We'll do it. But just wait one second. And uh, he pulls out his wallet. And he takes out $20, and he says to his friend, Robert, here's that $20 I owe you. <laughs> In other words, the gunman's going to take it all anyway. So he owes his friend $20, so he gives it to him right before the guy takes So there's a, there's a way in which uh, everything by the course of time is taken away. It's eroded. It slips through our fingers. 
but those are intelligent, including using the material body. So there's a verse in the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam that says, Labvam sudu labamidam bahasam bhavante manusham artadam anityam apihadira. So anityam means it's not eternal, it's very temporary. And it's talking about the body. And the, which body? Manusha, which means the human body. And it says, Labvam sudu labamidam bahasam bhavante. It's very rare to get a human body. It's, it's, a, it's an award by material nature, giving you opportunity to go into the, uh, you know, to become liberated from the material world. And this is a special juncture uh, during which you can make that journey. So, he says, although it's very temporary, it could go away at any time. There's, there's no guarantee how long it'll last. It's artidum. It's full of value because, so if you take something that's very temporary, but then you, you make something out of it that becomes very valuable. This is called intelligence. So in spiritual life, we, you know, the person understands, body's going to go away at any second, but if I can use it for the highest purpose, that is as a vehicle to attain liberation. From this temporary position, I become liberated. And that's the greatest intelligence, according to the Bhagavatam. So Bali Maharaj... He, had, uh, he was a great conqueror, and he had taken over the kingdom of heaven. And then Vamandev was an incarnation of Krishna. As he was a, a dwarf, and he came, uh, he was very beautiful, and he came and he begged from Bali Maharaj three paces of land. He said, that's all I want in charity. Because the kings always gave to the brahmanas, and Vamana came as a brahmana. And then the king said, don't just ask for three paces of land. If you're going to ask from the king, you should ask for a lot. I, he said, I can give it. And uh, <clears throat> Vamana said, if I'm not satisfied with three paces of land, I won't be satisfied if you give me three islands. Nonetheless, <clears throat> the guru of <clears throat> Bali Maharaj, Shukracharya, could understand that this was a setup because Vishnu had come to beg charity and he was going to take away everything from Bali. He had a scheme. <coughs> so he warned him. He said, this is Vishnu and he's going to take away all your possessions. And Bali Mara said, if it's Vishnu, I don't care if he takes all my possessions. I should give it to him anyway. And so it was preemptive that he, he understood what was coming, but he gave it because he reasoned that it all belongs to him anyway, ultimately. And who gets the opportunity to give away their thing, all their things directly to Vishnu? So he gave it away. And he became famous. Because what happened was, Vamana, although he was a dwarf, when he, when uh, <clears throat> Bali Maharaj granted him the, the three paces of land, he expanded himself, and in his first footstep, he took over the whole universe. And then the second one, he kicked a hole in the top of the universe. That's where the Ganga comes in, the Ganges. And then he said, I took, two, I took two steps, you still owe me one. And there was nothing left. So then Bali Maharaj said, you've put your third step on my head. It's called Atma Nivedana, which means that nothing's mine, even this body, I give it to you. Preemptively, or in charity. Not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, hey!
Natalie Armarman, Natalie Armarman, Natalie Armarman, Natalie Armarman.